welcome to the ToxCast. Uh, today's episode will be a little bit different than the other episodes that you have already listened to. So let's just jump right in. Do you remember McGruff the Crime Dog? Yeah, McGruff. The anthropomorphic cartoon bloodhound dog. This guy. Take a bite out of crime. Uh, McGruff was created by the Ad Council and later the National Crime Prevention Council. And if you don't know the Ad Council, or that's short for Advertising Council, was founded in 1942, and it is an American nonprofit organization that produces, distributes, promotes public service announce- announcements on behalf of various sponsors, which may include nonprofits, non governmental organizations, and even U.S. governmental agencies. So some of the most famous and widespread advertising campaigns were done by the Ad Council. Uh, in the 1950s, Eleanor Roosevelt and uh, General Dwight Eisenhower appeared in anti-communism ads at the time. In the 80s, Nancy Reagan jump-started her Just Say No anti-drug campaign with the help of the Ad Council. McGruff the Crime Dog was created in 1979, and he actually debuted in 1980 with his catchphrase, Take a Bite Out of Crime. And at first, McGruff's announcements centered on personal security measures. So things like locking your doors, putting lights on timers, securing your doors and your windows, asking neighbors to watch your home or your house. So this was all done in the name of preventing or reducing crime. But over time, uh, McGruff's announcements kind of branched into public service announcements or PSAs about kidnapping gun violence, and drugs. Like I said, drugs. The reason I am talking about McGruff right now. Well, in 1986, did you know that McGruff the Crime Dog became a recording artist? A musician? (laughs) He actually did release an album. He released a record. Um, It seems that McGruff wanted to express his creative side while doing his job of crime prevention and awareness. Uh, the, the album itself is called McGruff's Smart Kids Album, and since it was 1986, it was released on cassette tape. The cover art of the album is pretty simple. It has McGruff in full trench coat, leaning on a brick wall, with the tagline, Smart Kids Don't Use Drugs. So, so why are we talking about this Smart Kids album? Well... I figured we could take a stroll right through that album, since all of the songs, or at least most of them, are drug-related. So, the album itself opens up with a one-minute song called Winners Don't Use. And that song opens up with a piano and McGruff singing, and he sings these lines, and he sings, Users are losers and losers are users. And pretty soon his smart kids join in. So let's listen to a bit of this song. McGruff here. I want you to learn a song that tells people to say no to drugs. Users are losers and losers are users. So don't use drugs. Don't use drugs. Winners don't use and users don't win. So don't use drugs. Don't use drugs. If you know a user even part of the time. 
Tell them to quit, take a bite out of crime. Users are losers, and losers are users. So don't use drugs. Don't use drugs. I'm pretty sure that labeling drug users as losers is not the right way to go about it. And I, I'm, it's not even pretty sure. It is not the right way to go about this. And then to insinuate that all losers are actually users? Come on now. That is not logical at all. So the next song is the appropriately titled No, No, No. And I bet you can guess what it's about. Uh, just say no. Like I said uh, before, remember, this was the beginnings of the Just Say No era. Uh, media was awash in, in Just Say No. By uh, 1985, uh, Nancy Reagan had appeared on I mean, 20, 23 different talk shows and even co-hosted an episode of Good Morning America. Uh, there was a two-hour special PBS documentary on drug abuse at the time. Uh, during this time, if you, ever, if you were watching TV, there were special episodes of uh, TV shows like Different Strokes, Punky Brewster... Um, those episodes centered around the Just Say No campaign. And the D.A.R.E. campaign started around this time, too. And if you're old like me, you'll remember D.A.R.E. Drug Abuse Resistance Education. D-A-R-E. D.A.R.E. to resist drugs and violence was the, the overall campaign. Uh, they were long-standing campaigns. But ultimately, what, did the, what was the actual effect of these campaigns? And it turns out that the effect of these long-standing D.A.R.E. campaigns was not a lot. As an example, there was a 2009 study. It was published uh, by Scientific American. It was completed by Lillenfield and Arkovitz. And it was titled, Why Just Say No Doesn't Work. And that study actually analyzed 20 different controlled studies on enrollment in D.A.R.E. programs. And guess what? That study showed there was no effect. The D.A.R.E. programs had no effect on future drug use. So anyways, back to the song. It's extremely repetitive, so I'm only going to play a bit of it. Song three is, is titled Marijuana. And this song made me laugh out loud the first time I heard it. So with lyrics like, it's like beating your head on a wall, and you know if you gamble with life, you can lose it. Because your life is a gift. Don't abuse it. There's a, there's a really cool guitar solo in this song, though, that I, I really love. I adore it. Uh, so let's give this one a listen. I'm not going to say much more than, than right now, but let's listen to Marijuana, song three. And you know, if you 
Because not only does it harm a person's body and mind, but it often leads users to try other, even more dangerous drugs. And you know, if you gamble with life, you can lose. As you heard, the song states that marijuana is a gateway drug. McGruff says that marijuana use leads to the use of harder drugs, like cocaine, heroin, methamphetamine. A study after study, though has shown that this gateway drug assertion is incorrect. It is not correct. It is categorically untrue. But at that time in 1986, that was the standard drug policy. It was just say no. And people thought that marijuana was a gateway drug. And it still gets repeated to this day. We've heard presidential candidates this year in 2019 and 2020, talk about marijuana being a gateway drug. Categorically untrue. So the next song is about inhalants. And when you listen to the song here in a second, it's a really 80s song. And it, it contains a synthesizer. It is set in the 80s. It's perfect for the time. Uh, and I never thought I would really hear a crime-fighting dog start to sing, there's danger in inhalants. They can break you in two, so never sniff inhalants. So let's give it a listen. Learn a lesson so true. There's danger in inhalants. They can break you in two, so never sniff inhalants. Inhalants really can kill. Don't you inhale it. You'll be suffering pain. Don't you inhale it. They will damage your brain. Don't you it. Cause it's really insane. Cause inhalants kill. Folks, inhalants do kill. They can and they do. And I, I really do like McGruff's thoughts at the end of the song. Just because something is safe to use one way, it really doesn't mean it's safe to use another way. And in forensic toxicology, we see inhalants and, and deaths associated with inhalants less often than we see like heroin deaths or fentanyl deaths or alcohol deaths. But toxicity and death due to huffing or inhalation of, of canned air or other inhalants happens more frequently than I'd like. The main component that we see in forensic toxicology for like canned air for this sort of scenario 
a huffing scenario is something called 1,1-difluoroethane or difluoroethane or simply DFE. But there are other inhalants out there. They include toluene, which is used in paint thinners and model glue, acetone, which is used in nail polish removers, alkyl nitrites, which is used in so-called popper products, petroleum products, gasoline, kerosene. You also have propane and butane. But again, these are all inhalants. And as McGruff said, stay away from inhalants. I highly recommend you stay away from inhalants. So song five is called Cocaine and Crack. That's the title. And these were the quintessential drugs of the 80s. It's kind of funny because the song is called Cocaine and Crack, but the lyrics don't sing it like that. The lyrics always refer to the drugs as crack and cocaine. And a lot of the song is fear-mongering, but pretty much all these songs on this on this album are fear-mongering. So let's let's give this a little bit of a listen. Cause nobody's needing that crack and cocaine. There's terrible trouble behind it. And sooner or later you're burning your brain. Making a mess of your mind. Cause nobody's needing that crack and cocaine. There's terrible trouble behind it. And sooner or later you're burning your brain. Making a mess of your mind. There is help available for people who have a problem with cocaine or crack addiction. Have them call 1-800-COCAINE for advice. And if someone ever offers you crack or cocaine, be smart. Just say no. Because nobody's needing that crack and cocaine. I especially love the PSA at the end of this song. Call 1-800-COCAINE. It kind of sounds like a number you'd call to get cocaine. Not help for cocaine addiction. Hey kids, low on cocaine? You need more? Call 1-800-COCAINE. $49.99 plus $10.95 shipping and handling. And song six. (laughs) The last song on the first side of the cassette is titled Alcohol. And the song is a bit funky at the intro. And I really do enjoy the guitar work in the song. Uh, There's not much else to say about this song. So let's, let's play a bit of it. side one of the smart kids album side two of the album consists of five different songs but they're not centered around any particular drug 
Uh, the songs are all about being yourself, saying no, treating your body correctly, and not using drugs, of course, is what they're insinuating. So, overall, I'm not, I'm not going to play those those other five songs. We're not going to play them, because, they're like I said, they're not centered around any particular drug. But overall, the album is chocked full of pretty catchy music. I can't deny it. That's pretty catchy music. It, it's pretty ridiculous to listen to as an adult, but the music is 80 synth and pop through and through and through. And the music has no business, in my opinion, being this good. For its time, I, I get it. For its time, set in the 80s, during the Just Say No campaign, I get why this exists. but Because that was the prevailing thought. Just say no. We now know that marijuana is not a gateway drug. That gateway drug theory isn't correct. But I do recommend staying away from inhalants. Inhalants are not good. They will not lead to anything positive for your life. This album, the Smart Kids album, mixes drugs and music in a way I never thought I'd hear. So that's why I wanted to talk about it for a few minutes on this podcast. Because it really does mix things well. and It's, it's an it's a interesting way to get uh, your message out. Even if you don't agree with a lot of what it's saying, it is, I mean, you do have to recognize it is an, an interesting way to do it. So I never really thought I'd listen to a large uh, talking dog singing lead vocals and, and warning us about the dangers of marijuana, cocaine, inhalants, and alcohol. But guess what? You just did. So I hope you enjoyed listening to a little bit of McGruff the Crime Dog sing about drugs. This is where I'm going to talk about a few different stories that are in the news from the past month, two months, whatever it might be, that kind of got my interest. They they piqued my interest. I thought they'd be great to talk about or at least mention for a few minutes. Uh, we're not going to get into any of these subjects in extreme detail. At least I think we're not. But in the future... We might branch off of one of these stories and do a full episode if if I think it's necessary. Right now, I think the first story that really got my attention, and this was this actually was was came up about the last part of 2019. It was in December of 2019. It was published in from Bloomberg News, and the title was The New Worry for Iran's Intelligence Services. Drug-laced cakes. And like I said, it broke at the end of 2019, but I found it interesting. So I'm going to uh, talk about it here just for a second. Uh, because this is a weird one. I'll, I'm going to read a, just a little bit about this story. Again, this came from Bloomberg News. It was published December 16th, 2019. In this article, it says, Earlier this week, Iranian state TV reported that several cake factories in some of the country's southern provinces had been forced to suspend production after pills, including the narcotic-like pain relief drug Tramadol, were discovered in the packaged produce. So, there were cake factories, and they found, in the cake packages, they found Tramadol, the drug Tramadol, which is worrying. I mean, obviously, when you find any sort of pharmaceutical drug in your cake, 
that is a worry. <laughs> that is worrisome. I, I would be freaking out, honestly. That, that That's not a good thing. Tramadol itself, it's an interesting drug. I mean, uh, let's talk about this for a second. Tramadol itself is so interesting to many toxicologists that I have heard it called not tramadol, but tramadont. Uh, there's there's a fantastic post about this over on the, the Tox and the Hound blog page about this. And it's titled Tramadont, as I said. Go read it. Uh, but in short, I'm, I'm not even looking at it, but in short, uh, from what I remember, it talked about tramadol and its effects and how it works in the body. So it's pharmacokinetics, it's pharmacodynamics, and why a medical doctor should not really be prescribing this substance. And But in forensic tox, what I'm worried about is toxicity. And how does how does tramadol work? Okay, so in short, tramadol. I mean, in the in the article, it was it was described as a narcotic-like pain relief drug. Let's just throw narcotic out the window. Narcotic is a terrible crap word. It should not be used by toxicologists or medical professionals in any setting. It is a police word. Let's not use that. Um, let's 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 frame it this way. Tramadol is described as an opioid drug. So it's described in most references as similar to drugs like morphine and heroin, codeine, oxycodone. But if you dig a little deeper than that, tramadol itself actually has two different mechanisms of action. Tramadol, the parent drug, so before it's transformed, before it's metabolized by the liver or anything, um, it, the parent drug, the parent drug acts as a serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. So an SNRI for short, if you will. And if, if you ever heard of SNRI drugs, they, they typically you can use them as antidepressants. So the one drug that is very familiar, that it's very similar to is called venlafaxine. It's a drug that's used as an antidepressant and sold as Effexor on the market. And actually, if you look at the chemical structure of tramadol next to venlafaxine, you will see that they are remarkably similar. Very, very similar. If you ever find yourself in the forensic chemistry and toxicology fields doing work, you'll find out quickly that tramadol and venlafaxine are troublesome analytes to analyze. And that's a story for another day. But they, we do have our problems trying to analyze them, but we can detect them. So... Um, again, tramadol itself, serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. So it affects serotonin and norepinephrine in the body. But there's the other side of tramadol. Tramadol metabolizes to a substance called O-desmethyltramadol. It's a metabolite. And that O-desmethyltramadol is not a serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. It is, in fact, an opioid substance, like morphine, codeine, oxycodone. Um, it binds to opioid receptors and produces an effect, just like morphine, codeine, or oxycodone. Uh, the enzyme that converts tramadol to O-desmethyltramadol is uh, a cytochrome P450 enzyme. And uh, in particular, it's uh, CYP2D6 is the enzyme. And what's interesting about this enzyme, which 
all sorts of other problems with this is that this enzyme is expressed differently in various individuals. So what that means is that you have a certain subset of the population uh, that we call poor metabolizers. That it basically means they have zero functional enzyme. The majority of folks in the population are normal metabolizers. And then a very small subset of the population are ultra-rapid metabolizers. So if you think about it, if you're a poor metabolizer, you'll have all tramadol in your system and none of it's metabolite. None of it will be converted to desmethyltramadol. The normal metabolizers will have both present and ultra-rapid metabolizers. What about them? They will get all the opioid-like effects of desmethyltramadol, but they will not. You will not have the parent drug detected. So, th- this could be a problem. I mean, it could because it it leads to uh, very varying results across the population. You don't. You never know what you're going to get from an individual when they consume the tramadol drug. And again. I haven't seen anything more from this story in the news, but it's a big deal when uh, you find a pharmaceutical in a uh, foodstuff. It's not a good thing. So I'll keep an eye on that. And if it comes up again, um, we'll have to report back. Okay. The second story I want to talk about, um, its title was Gray Death. Super drug deadly if touched or inhaled, police say. This, uh, the story I'm, I'm actually reading right now uh, was in the International Business Times or the IB Times. Uh, it, it, it emerged a few days ago, so at the beginning of February. But my first thought is when I, when I read this was, who transported me back to 2017? Because this was in the news three years ago, Gray Death, 2017. Um, So, again, let's talk about this story in the IB Times. And this is out of, I mean, authorities from Louisiana are reporting this. So I'm going to read just a bit of this to you from this International Business Times story. Police in Huma, Louisiana, have reported the escalation of a new super drug aptly titled Gray Death. While the drug has been around for several years, so I'm glad they report that, authorities just recently announced that it was unsafe to touch or inhale. The St. Mary Parish Sheriff's Office reported on Facebook, always a great place to get your uh, information, uh, last week it made recent arrests and seized the heroin-fentanyl mixture from suspects traveling across the parish. So, USA Today... And this is what the the article says. USA Today reports that local law enforcement described Grey Death as having a potency 10,000 times greater than morphine. I'm going to call BS on that right now. Uh, The Sheriff's Department emphatically urged residents not to handle the substance. And this is what we get into right here. It says that harm from illegal narcotics found... This is from the police. Harm from illegal narcotics found in homes, on the streets, in schools, or in the trash can occur not only if the substance is touched, but also if it is inhaled. 
This doesn't just apply to powders. Pills and liquids can also have bad effects on people who touch them if precautions are not taken. Okay, I'm just going to comment on this. Uh, I've commented, I commented on this when I was talking science on my other podcast, Nobody Asked You Kevin. Uh, I'm going to comment on it now, and I, I believe the next story, um, I'm going to comment on it again because I don't, for some reason, it can't be commented on enough. But... Fentanyl, fentanyl derivatives, fentanyl analogs, designer opioids, whatever you want to call these substances. Uh, uh, Gray Death is essentially just a street name, a made-up name for a concoction of unknown substances. So it could be heroin, it could be fentanyl, it could be carfentanyl, it could be 3-methylfentanyl, it could be butyryl fentanyl, it could be cyclopropyl fentanyl could be acetylfentanyl, could be anything. And it could be a combination of anything. So the Great Death moniker really doesn't mean anything in regards to what it contains. It's a made-up name. So there's that. Then there's the fact that um, uh, they reported that there was a potency of 10,000 times greater than morphine. Well, that 10,000 times number, I, I'm without reading into it, that 10,000 times number is probably in relation or at least in um, relation to carfentanyl, which in one pharmaceutical study from a mouse uh, tail writhing assay, it did show about, I mean, using math, it showed about 10,000 times more potency than morphine in this single writhing assay that was completed in 1976 by Janssen when they were studying fentanyl and different derivatives. Uh, It's a lot of hand waving. It's a lot of what I call math magics. It's just numbers. Um, I don't know, but uh, ultimately 10,000 times number gets touted. It's again, it's, it's just a lot of hyperbole, but the, the ultimate, the number one thing I wanted to address here was when they say that it is lethal or harm can occur if the substance is touched. That's not accurate. Sure, if there's a white powder or a gray powder on the ground or in a massive powder in a pile somewhere, don't just go up to it and grab it. Come on, use some common sense here. But you cannot be afraid if you're working with this stuff in a lab or, or wherever it might be, you're a police officer and you encounter someone that has residue on them, you encounter someone that has pills in their car, by touching that person or being in the same vicinity as that person in relation to the pills or powder, it's not going to affect you unless you're actively inhaling it or if you actively inject yourself or if you actively consume the substance orally, it's not going to affect you. So this gray death stuff, a lot of the, the, the reporting is hysteria and hyperbole. And I talk a lot about this uh, a lot of times is the media reports on this stuff and it's all hysteria and hyperbole. Just say gray death is not really any sort of an issue right now that I would be worried about. It is a name. And that, that's, that great death story kind of butts up to the third story I want to talk about tonight. And the, the title of this story, this was in the Daily Journal, this which is a USA Today uh, 
part of the USA Today network, I guess. So the, the title of the article is Court Told Seized Fentanyl Affected Trooper. The Judge Keeps Defendant in Jail. And like I said, this was this one popped up at the end of January, but it's related to what I just talked about with Gray Death. And so let's let's read a little bit of this article. Because as soon as I read some of this, you're gonna the listener, you are going to know why I get upset at this stuff for what I just said about that second story. So this comes to us and it says a state trooper was treated for fentanyl exposure from a package allegedly found be- between the toes of a Port Norris man, according to testimony at a Superior Court hearing. So you have this man, he's 52, he was arrested after New Jersey State Police uh, executed a cer- search warrant at his home. So um, this guy was uh, at a pretrial hearing. Uh, for possession of controlled substance and drug paraphernalia, the judge ordered him to remain in the county jail pending trial as a risk to public safety. But what the story says is the case started with a motor vehicle accident. The state police responded to it. They found a motorist, um, which who was a woman, apparently overdosing on opioids is what they believed. So the prosecutor said this woman, after being treated, gave a statement that she bought heroin from the 52-year-old man who's being charged with something. She told police that the powder she bought didn't have its usual color. She suspected it was mixed with fentanyl, but you never know. So then they, they get this information. They go to his apartment. They didn't find heroin, but they did find a wax folder of fentanyl between his toes. So the laboratory analysis was done on the package found between his toes, and they said it was positive for fentanyl. But at the time when that, when that package was found between his toes, one trooper had been exposed and I don't know what that means, honestly, but it, the story says one trooper was given naloxone or Narcan at a hospital emergency room. They said the, the quote is, we had two people on this overdose at the hands of this individual because he is cutting dangerous, dangerous substances into already illegal substances in order to further his profit. Honestly, I, I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, that you had a, an officer who responded to a call. They didn't find any powder heroin. They didn't find any pills out. They found this little wax material between this guy's toes. And as they were removing that wax material and arresting this individual, I guess the officer became overcome by the wax fentanyl product and started to what they believed was overdose on fentanyl. So I'm going to stop right there. This cannot happen. Just full, full stop. This will not happen. This is just not going to happen. And I'm going to cover this in another episode when we talk about fentanyl and heroin and fentanyl analogs and designer opioids. But I will just say that this cannot happen. That officer was not suffering from a drug overdose from fentanyl or a poisoning from fentanyl from exposure in the field more than likely 
it was some sort of psychosomatic reaction or psychogenic reaction or something where he freaked himself out. He induced a panic attack. Because what happens in an opioid overdose? Someone will get really drowsy. They'll be tired. And then all of a sudden their breathing will slow down. And before long, if it's a true overdose situation, they will become unconscious. If they become unconscious, and at some point, you can become um, apneic. You can stop breathing if it, the drug is taken is is in overdose. Become apneic. You stop breathing. And then once you stop breathing, you become apneic. If there's not enough oxygen going to your tissues, your brain, your organs, you become hypoxic. So you're not having your lack of oxygen. So none of this is happening to the officer. If the officer is alive and talking and not unconscious, not suffering from a opioid overdose or the effects of even opioid use, then they're not needing naloxone. They're not being exposed to the drug. This just doesn't happen. And, and stories like this just basically stigmatize drug use and then stigmatize helping people who need help who are suffering from a drug overdose. This is not good reporting. We should not be reporting the stuff that officers, law enforcement, firefighters, EMTs, emergency services and personnel, whoever it might be, are not suffering effects from encountering fentanyl, fentanyl analogs in the field. End of story. The fourth story I want to talk about, this popped up at the end of January, so just a, a week or a week and a half ago, but um, it, the title, it was, it was in CNN, it was reported by CNN World. Um, the title of the story was German nurse accused of poisoning five premature babies with morphine. And it was written by Nadine Schmidt of CNN. Um, this one was interesting because this, these sort of poisonings occasionally pop up and a lot of times they don't get followed up on. So you're just given the preliminary information and then you don't hear about anything else. But the story reads, German police and prosecutors are questioning a nurse accused of poisoning five premature babies with morphine at a hospital. So basically what happened was there were five premature babies at this hospital in southern Germany uh, and they were between the ages of one day and one month. And then all of a sudden, they suddenly began, began, began experiencing life-threatening breathing difficulties. Um, and when we start talking about fentanyl and opioids and, and heroin and morphine and those things, uh, they affect opioid receptors, which then basically slow the breathing down. And they, they produce central nervous system depression, respiratory depression. They slow the breathing. So the, these babies began experiencing breathing difficulties. And this was all on the morning of December 20th. And uh, the suspect who was being questioned and arrested was on duty at the hospital that morning. She was taken into custody on, on uh, later a day or so later. Uh, she's being investigated for five counts of attempted manslaughter and grievously grievous bodily harm. But all the babies survived, and they're not expecting any sort of further complications 
but the police searched uh, staff members' lockers at the hospital, and the authorities did say that they found a syringe containing breast milk among the nurse's possessions. And the police and the prosecutor in of the case confirmed that they actually did get that breast milk, that syringe tested, and it did show that it was positive for morphine. So the, the nurse denies giving the babies morphine. I, I have no idea what's going on in this case, but it is very, very interesting, and I hope to hear more because it's a terrible story. And unfortunately, some of these sort of stories pop up every once in a while. These these uh, nurses or doctors in a hospital setting who end up poisoning uh, their patients. So the last story I'm going to bring up here, and this is, I'm going to end it. It's going to be somewhat funny. I don't know if it, I don't know if I'd term it funny, but lighthearted, I guess. Um, at least from when we're talking about it. But the title... Uh, of the story is Florida police made a traffic stop and found a bag full of drugs, fittingly labeled bag full of drugs. So what happened was, uh, as this was reported by CNN, uh, a Florida traffic stop turned into a surprise narcotics bust. There's that word narcotics again. Uh, after police found what looked to be a bag full of drugs in the car, the clue it was labeled quote unquote bag full of drugs. And I'm looking at this picture right now, and it's a big white bag that says bag full of drugs on it. Uh, the uh, Highway Patrol in Florida actually made the stop, and they observed the car going about 25 miles per hour over the speed limit. And they thought that was kind of suspicious, so they st- obviously stopped the car for speeding. But uh, they brought canine uh, units out. And canine units uh, alerted the police of something potentially inside. So then when they searched the inside of the car, they found, and this is what's being reported. I don't know how they know. I doubt they've done any lab testing on this. But they said they found approximately 75 grams of methamphetamine, 1.36 kilos, kilograms of GHB, 1 gram of cocaine, 3.6 grams of fentanyl, 15 MDMA or ecstasy tablets and other assorted drug paraphernalia. So <laughs> I don't know what much to say other than that. It, it, don't <laughs> just don't put your drugs in a, in a bag labeled drugs. I mean, come on, use common sense. Okay. So that wraps up, that wraps up drugs in the news as well as this Toxcast episode. Um, I, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a little bit different than the first few that I've done. I wanted to go in a little bit of a different direction this time. And if you if you want to get in contact with me, check out my personal Twitter feed at, at Forensic Tox Guy on Twitter or the Toxcast Show at, at Toxcast on Facebook. Search out the Dose Makes the Poison podcast page. Give it a like if you can. Subscribe to it. Send me an email at dosemakesthepoisonpodcast at gmail.com. Head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for Dose Makes the Poison, the Toxcast. Any reviews are much appreciated. Uh, as you, if you know anything about podcasts, about 80% of podcasts are listened to through Apple Podcast app. 
and any reviews help a show get noticed and potentially capture a larger audience. And that's what I want to do here. I want to capture as much of a, as large of an audience as possible and try to spread at least some information about drugs from a knowledgeable source. So, uh, again, if you can leave a review, it's appreciated. So until next time, my friends, all I'm going to say is never keep your stash in a bag labeled bag full of drugs and never practice toxicology in a vacuum. Peace. Peace.